We're going to end Revelation chapter 2, uh, going from verses 18 to 29 tonight, uh, talking about the church at Thyatira. And I didn't see, is Ben Dunson here? Didn't, didn't, didn't see him. Well, that's, that's too bad. I, I was going to say that uh, my professor at seminary who taught me the book of Revelation is Ben Dunson. Did a great, great job. My current professor teaching me preaching is Jordan Stone. So, you know, I'm totally in the clear tonight. I, I can't miss. <laughs> but this is a great, uh, a, a great passage and Let's read it. It actually is the longest of all of the letters to the churches, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But let's read Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. And that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over over the nations, and he will rule with them with an iron rod. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Our Father, this is a scary situation. A scary text. And Father, help us see you as you really are, a loving Savior for sure, but also one that sees all and one that is wrathful, and that your wrath will abide on all that do not call on your name. Amen. Let's think here again about what we're seeing in these letters to the seven churches in Revelation. If you, were to, if you were to see that all, the entire back wall here was a map of that area, you would, 
you could see exactly what is transpiring and the path to all these churches. And at home, if you'd like to, to get a map, it's pretty easy to locate where these seven churches are. Imagine, if you will, this is one big map, and about halfway through, from the, from the stone to the window there, about halfway through, about this high up, is a dot. And that dot is the city of Athens, Greece. So when you go home and, take, and, 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 and look at a map, find Athens, Greece. It's really easy to, to find. That dot is Athens, Greece, right on the shores of the Aegean Sea. And from that dot all the way to the end of the stone is the Aegean Sea. It's all water. This black stone here would be the Isle of Patmos. And you can see the dimensions on how far that is from, from Athens. The city of Ephesus would be right behind me at the, at where the cross goes down, right in the middle of the, of the pipes. That would be the city of Ephesus. So where, where John is at Patmos is about 46 miles as the crow flies, kind of north east of, uh, of Patmos is Ephesus. Then going up and starting with Ephesus, it's no more than 50, between 50 and 60 miles between each of these churches. They're, they're perfectly situated uh, apart. And from Ephesus, who can say what the second church is? Anyone? Excuse me? No. Smyrna, good. So we've got Ephesus. We're going about 50 miles north. That's probably, you know, somewhere toward the latter half of the cross there. We would find Smyrna. Then we would find Pergamos right about at the middle of the cross. So from Athens to Patmos, we've got Ephesus, Smyrna, and at the middle of the cross there, we've got Pergamos. Then going from Pergamos, going again southeast, you've got the rest of the churches. 40 miles, about at the edge here, you're going to have Thyatira. After Thyatira coming down, we've got Sardis. Another 40 miles, you're going to get Philadelphia, and finally you're going to get at the very bottom here somewhere, the church at Laodicea. These were actual churches. They were all connected with a, with a trading route about 40, 50 miles away, and it's laid out exactly like that. So if you take a modern map, and the, the, the names aren't the same, but you can find Athens, you can see these churches. As a matter of fact, there are tours that you can go, and what they recommend you doing is start at Ephesus and rent a car and drive to the various points, and you can see very little but still some ruins of the church. So keep that in mind. <clears throat> and we left off with John at the Isle of Patmos. And remember, these are not random. Uh, they start at Ephesus and follow this pattern north all the way down. Just a little bit about Thyatira before we start. Thyatira was the most insignificant of all the churches. It was the smallest, yet we've got the most words written by Jesus to this church. There were many guilds there. There were brass guilds, and that, we'll see that in, 
at the very beginning about Jesus saying that his feet are like brass. But there were many guilds. And we have one reference to Thyatira in other parts of the New Testament, and you may remember that. And I'm going to be reading some verses. You don't necessarily have to turn to it, but let's, but let's read or think about Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. If you want to turn there, you can, Acts chapter 16. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we were supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was the worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed on us. That's about it of what we know about Thyatira in the New Testament, that, that Lydia was there, and of course we know her backstory. So what we know, obviously, they, they talk about Thyatira being a place of trade and linens and so forth. Lydia uh, had, was a seller of purple. People talk about the guilds that were there, and we'll, that will come up in, in a minute when we talk about the punishment and, and God's judgment. So, I want to tell you right now just a little bit about the first time I taught this book and taught the seven churches. It was a buddy of mine and I who were asked to teach about the seven churches in a church that we attended circa 1982. And I specifically remember having Thyatira as the one, one of the ones that I would teach on. And when I taught on Thyatira, we both taught from the scriptures the best we could at that time, but we also taught from this big map of the seven churches. And it, in this book, it laid out not only what was going on in the churches, but it laid out the book of Revelation and specifically these seven churches prophetically. And it started out with Ephesus and it said, Ephesus represents the church from about 70 A.D. to roughly 200 A.D. And then there was things in that book about that, that, that when we look back. Then it got to Thyatira, and Thyatira was the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. So I remember teaching on that and saying things like, well, we know the Dark Ages is the longest of these uh, of these." Uh, eras and epics. So naturally, God has used, saved the most verses for this edge. And, all, and this continued all the way on to down here, the church of Laodicea, which was the modern church. And it was all taught prophetically and dispensationally. And we're not teaching that like that. But there's another way to look at, at, at this book and these seven churches that I am going to take the liberty to teach on tonight. I think these churches, as the Lord lays it out, and remember what's happening, John and Jesus are at Patmos. And Jesus is telling John, if you've got a Bible like mine, and I like these, by the way, uh, I have a red letter edition Bible. Red letter means that the words of Jesus are in red. Now, the problem with that is people tend to think that there's something special about those red, red words. 
And you, if you do anything, you better, you know, read those carefully and maybe, maybe don't, don't let the pages that the red words are on get crumpled. You know, this is... And, and we have kind of a spooky way. And honestly, folks, whether they're red or black, they're just as true. They're just as much God's word. But when you do read them, you do, you do think to yourself, well, this is Jesus speaking. So Jesus and the apostle John are in Patmos, and Jesus is saying, write these down, John, and write to these seven churches on the map, 45 miles from where you're at right now is Ephesus, and write that. So when he gets to Thyatira and all those, these are Jesus' words. And honestly, when we look at those, we find out characteristics about these churches that we can emulate or not emulate. But what we do also see is we see a side of our Savior himself. So tonight, I'd like to take a look at the, at the, at the church of Thyatira and really learn about Jesus himself under these three headings. Verses 18 through 19, the watching Savior. Verses 20 through 23, the wrathful Savior. And finally, uh, through chapter 24 to the end in 29, I would say the waiting and the welcoming Savior. So let's first look at the watching Savior. Verse 18, Jesus says to John, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, Where's that at? Bump, 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 bump. To the church at Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. The first we have here is Jesus calling himself the Son of God, in verse 18. This is the only time in the book of Revelation that Jesus is called the Son of God. Now, there are speculations as to why he does that. The one that most often comes up is that in Thyatira, uh, the main source of worship was to the, to the god Zeus, and specifically in the guilds, the worship of Zeus's two sons. So the speculation is, whether it's true or not, is that Jesus uses the terminology for himself of son of God to contrast as a polemic these worshipers of Zeus and his, his two sons. Now that may be true, that may be not true, but we certainly have an image of this, and we already saw this in, in, the, in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, where the same words are, that, that Jesus has a, having a flame of fire from his eyes and, and the bronze feet. But listen to these two verses in the book of Daniel and see if they don't uh, ring true with what we see here. This is Daniel chapter 10, verses 4 to 6. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze, and the sound of his words were like the voice of a multitude. Listen to John chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, and you know the story. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. 
Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I think it's an obvious reference to that. But Jesus himself calls himself a a, a man with a flame of fire from his eyes and burnished brass for his feet. There are several ways I think that this uh, is perfectly appropriate to think about. And the first is this. These guilds that were there, um, there was a form of worship, and this is contrasted when we get down to the, uh, to the uh, way that the, the Lord says you're not supposed to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And these guilds would be something like this, and let's call this one the Trig Guild, the, the Thyatira Real Estate Irrigation Guild, whatever, you can make yours up. But it would go something like this. It would say, welcome everyone to the Trig Guild. We're going to have a great time and, and uh, talk about what we're doing. And before we have the uh, uh, master of ceremonies and come up, it's time for us all to take a knee and we're going to uh, pray to the God Zeus, his two sons, and we're going to enjoy this wonderful bounty that was that, was, that came as a result of Zeus and his son's hands, and let's take, the, and they would pray, and they would take the meat, and now this, that, this meat has been blessed by, by Zeus, and they would pass it out, and there the heartache would start for the believer. Do I do that? Do I not do that? Do I do that? Do I not do that? And we wonder why it is, and we'll see that in a second. Uh, The watching Savior. Look at the words. Jesus says in verse, let me find it. To the church uh, in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God whose eyes are a flame of fire and whose feet are burnished brass. I know your works. Can there be any more scary and dangerous words than that? I know your works. Kids, you remember this song? The kids, listen up. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is what, kids? Ah, looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Don't forget your works, brothers and sisters. Jesus knows them. And look at what these works are. And this is where it gets a little bit scary. These works are, verse 19, love, faith, service, and preservation. What do you notice about those kind of works? Not only uh, do bad and good actions fall under the eyes of your Savior, but also attitudes of the heart. As Christians, what we have a tendency to do is concentrate on others' sins and forget our own. One of my favorite singers, you probably uh, know him. And of course, he's a 70s singer by the name of Jackson Brown. Um, Lisa and I had tickets to see Jackson Brown and James Taylor this summer before COVID hit. And hopefully we can, they'll, they'll redo that concert. But Jackson Brown has a song, it's called These Days. 
And I think it explains, as well as anything, how a Christian should look at their own sins past and think about them. Listen to these words. Well, I've been out walking. I don't do that much talking these days. These days. These days I seem to think of a lot about the things that I forgot to do and all the times I had the chance to. These days, these days. Now if, now if I seem to be afraid to sing about this life I've made in song, well, it's just that I've been losing for so long. Well, I'll keep on moving, moving on. Things are bound to be improving these days. One of these days. These days I seem to sit and count the time in quarter tones to ten. Have you ever been to London? You know Big Ben strokes on the quarter of hour. Ding, 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 ding. Then at half past, ding, 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 ding all the way through. And if you've ever had a clock in your house, like we used to have a grandfather clock, you can't get away from those. So he's saying, it seems that all I do is just sit and time goes by and I, and I count those quarter tones to 10 when I go to bed. He said, but now I seem to, to count the time in quarter tones to 10, my friend. Don't confront me with my failures, for I have not forgotten them. Jesus not only knows the sins we commit, he's known and forgiven ones we've done in the past, and we would do well to sit and listen to those. This man is not deceived. Let's listen to a man who is deceived. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of lawlessness. That man is not deceived. He's watching. Don't forget, brothers and sisters, you are the worst sinner that you know. You say, no, I know a lot of them. Hitler, you don't know them. You are the worst sinner that you personally know. Don't forget it. Number two, the wrathful Savior. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Let's talk about this Jezebel. She was a real person. <clears throat> there is a, a lot of doubt whether her name really was Jezebel. I mean, who's going to name their daughter Jezebel? 
But think of the ramifications if that's not her real name. Jesus himself calls her Jezebel. Now think of that. This sweet Jesus who wouldn't offend anyone says, she's Jezebel. What was she doing? She was A, calling herself a prophetess, which by the way, if you ever hear somebody call themselves a modern day prophet or a prophetess, just turn around and walk the other way. There's no such thing. But she called herself a prophetess, A, and B, she was leading other believers into sexual morality immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. <clears throat> now, you say, what was this sexual immorality? It could be a number of things. It could be, it could be temple prostitution. It could be all, any number of things. But what is important is not what that sexual uh, sin was, but the fact that there was a sexual sin that she would not repent of. Now, why these two? And I want to go back to our story about the guild with this food sacrificed to idols. And again, turn to, to Acts chapter 15. This is the first presbytery meeting in the Bible. It's Acts chapter 15. This was the ruling council that got together. And just like presbytery today, decisions were made that were actually binding on churches. Now, if you're here or watching and you're a member of a church that doesn't have any binding sort of uh, governance, think about it. This one did. And look at what their ruling was at the end of that first Presbytery meeting. Verse 28 of, of Acts chapter 15. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Here is the, the, the rule of Presbytery back to all the churches. Here is what our ruling is. One, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. I love that. I love the farewell at the end of the, of the presbytery meeting. But what did he basically say? Exactly what this Jezebel was doing. They were eating that food sacrificed to the idols or or, or uh, blessed by the idols and sexual immorality. And it doesn't say here what that sexual immorality was. But the point to remember about this sexual immorality, yes, it was wrong. Yes, they would be punished. But Jesus has something against them because they tolerated that. You know, in our culture, toleration is a good thing. When you're, when you're tolerant, it's a really good thing. It's not in the Bible. As I was preparing this this week, my inbox blinked and this particular article came up. And if you, if you don't subscribe to Harvest USA, um, you should do that. Um, Harvest USA had this article come this week that says, remaining faithful when others embrace LGBTQ theology. This is the toleration that Jesus is talking about. The parents sitting before me had tears streaming down both of their faces. Their 22-year-old daughter was now married to another woman. These Christian parents exper experienced understandable grief and terrible heartache. Quote, 
It's just not the pain of what our daughter's done that is so difficult. It's the fact that grandparents and many of our best friends have embraced it all. They see us as the problem. We're what's wrong with this whole situation. Though they believed that God's word was their guiding principle, they feared that they too might cave under the mounting pressure. That is what is, we are facing, brothers and sisters, is bowing to this mounting pressure. This couple's fear is not unusual when facing these kinds of challenges. Siblings, grandparents, and friends of someone who identifies as LGBTQ+, or adopts LGBTQ theology, all face similar trials when they're called to reflect both truth and mercy found in the gospel. How do we walk through this minefield, pursue humility in our own hearts, yet remain firm in God's word? This is the temptation for tolerance, brothers and sisters. And I won't read you the whole thing, but just the headings of what this guy says we should do. A, accept misunderstanding and persecution. Just accept it, it's coming. Two, engage and ask good questions. Be calm. Embrace the hurt and suffering that come with being misunderstood or seen as the bad guy. It's hard. Remember that this is a spiritual battle. Bathe everything in prayer. Pray for those who disagree with you. Remain grounded in the word yourself and seek the support of others. That's the admonition, and it's well, well taken. Our society already accepts no-fault divorce, living with each other. There's, uh, we're, we're in a bad way, but we've never been any worse than we are right now, and our temptation will be tolerance, just like it was here. Sexual immorality details aren't that important. But every time God's judgment is mentioned in the New Testament with a list, sexual immorality is among them. And make no mistake about it, God's judgment is coming. Look at verse 22. Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And then this verse that's one of the hardest, I think, in the entire New Testament. Now, I don't think it's talking about Jezebel's physical children. Maybe it is. I think it's talking about those that follow her as her children. But look what it says. And before I read it, don't you, haven't you ever had the conversation with somebody that said, you know, that God of the Old Testament of wrath, it's, we need to do away with him. It's the, it's the God of the New Testament of love. That, that, that I like. Look at what it says, verse 23, and I will strike her children dead. This is the loving Jesus. What else? Listen to these verses. Same New Testament, brothers and sisters. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife knowledge, he kept back some for himself and the proceeds, bought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart and the Holy Spirit to keep back for yourself proceeds of this land? While it remained unsold, was it not yours to do with what you willed? And after it was sold, was it still not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to God, but to man. When Ananias heard these things, he fell down and breathed his last breath. And great fear came upon all those that heard this. And the young men rose up and wrapped him up and carried him away and buried him. Whoever therefore eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then so let him eat bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is why many of you are weak, sick, ill, and some have died. Same New Testament. And finally, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you are suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay the affliction of those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well. For when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. These are going to happen, brothers and sisters. God's wrath is real. I remember back in the 70s, this was all over the place because the Lord was coming back. We read, read great planet Earth and everything. And I remember in Lewiston, Idaho, of all places, driving down the road, and there was somebody with a bumper sticker. And there was two bumper stickers. One on this side says, Jesus is coming again. And the other one on this side said, boy, is he mad. And it wasn't the word mad. But really... We soft pedal this, brothers and sisters. He is coming back in a fury. And if we are not in Christ, if our relatives are not in Christ, if our children are not in Christ, they will suffer eternal punishment. He is a wrathful God. Wow, this is not the New Testament Jesus of love. What happened? This is that old entire Old Testament God. Come on. God doesn't kill children, make people sick. This is your gross spirit of judgment, Mark. Grow up. This is 2020. Yeah, we need it more than ever in 2020. He's a God who is watchful. He is a God who is wrathful. And finally, he is a God waiting and welcoming. Look at how he takes the most hard verses in the entire New Testament and wraps them around this. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. My burden's light. 
in the midst of this, Jesus still has his faithful people, and he says to them, as he says to you, I lay no other burden on you. You want to say, what, do you, what, is God, what is God's will for my life, Mark? Give me one. Just give me one to chew on. What's God's will for my life? How about verse 25? Only hold fast to what you have until I come. Only hold fast what you have until I come. For the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. He's coming back. And he will rule with them with a rod of iron. Revelation 19, Jesus says he's ruling with a rod of iron and we will rule with him. When the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And then he says in 28, and I will give him the morning star. What's the morning star? It's Christ himself. He'll give us himself. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> Jesus is a watchful Savior. There's nothing that you do, nothing that you think, nothing that your attitudes are that he doesn't know. He asks you to repent and you repent. He's a wrathful God. Don't shy away from that, brothers and sisters. Don't pretend it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. And finally, he is a waiting and a welcoming Savior. And what does he ask from you? He asks you to hold fast what you have until he comes. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do want to hold fast to what we have. We thank you that you've given us a body of believers that love us, love us that we're called to. We thank you that you've given us leaders that love us. It's your will, it's your call, it's your setting up of your own body. Father, help us not to make up things to do to earn your favor, but simply be faithful to what you've called us to do. We thank you for this church uh, in Asia Minor, a little insignificant church. We thank you that even though it looked grim, there was still a faithful remnant that loved you and Took care, took care of you and, and remained faithful to you. Let us do the same in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please